This morning, we are going to kick off where we left off last week. If you were not here last week, I would highly encourage you to go back and to find that service. It's on our website, but to find that service and to check that out. Because here's the thing for us. As we step into a brand new year, it is the perfect opportunity for us to stop and to check ourselves. To make sure that we have our purpose, our mission, and our call right before we launch into a brand new year. And so this morning is really part two of what we said last week. So let me quickly bring us up to speed. The questions that we are dealing with again this morning. As a church, why do we do what we do? As a church, who are we called to be? What is our purpose? What is our mission? And we said last week that before we dive into that conversation, you better get the order of that conversation right. And the order of that conversation is Jesus drives mission, and that has to drive everything that we do as a church. Last week, we literally spent all week on this, teasing this out, that as you dial into the life of Christ, you will see that he is always on mission. On mission himself, equipping for mission. He is drawing people into, into his new life so that, so that those people then are, are engaged in his mission. But Jesus is always about mission. And it's only as you understand that that you are then able to talk about what church should look like. And that mission, in its clearest summary, comes to us out of Matthew 28. That mission is to go and make disciples. And we we define a disciple as a person who is following Christ, being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. We talked last week about how it's that mission coming out of Matthew 28 that has to be our mission as a church, has to come screaming through in everything that we do. And so MBIC's, MBIC's mantra is a capture of that mission to initiate and nurture a growing relationship with Christ. But then to push on that, we looked at this quote by Neil Cole. Ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples It does not matter. It does not matter how good your praise, your preaching, your programs, or your property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. And so last week, we started to talk about that radical obedience to Jesus and all that we do and all that we are. And that's where we're going to pick up our conversation this morning, coming out of Luke chapter 9. But before we go there, let me pray for us and our time together in God's word. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we are going to look at what is the most basic call of Jesus to us. And it is the call to surrender. May we see that clearly this morning. May you drive that truth deep into our hearts and may we in fact respond with that surrender. 
be glorified by everything that is happening here this morning. We give it all to you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So as we go to Luke chapter 9, here's the backstory of what we are about to read. Jesus sends out the 12. In, in the opening verses, verses 1 through 6 of Luke chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12 on a short-term mission trip. He gives them both power and authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to do the miraculous. And they come back and they tell Jesus about everything that they've done, everything that they've experienced. And so as Jesus and the 12 move to this next town, crowds find out where Jesus is, and so they begin to gather. And as Jesus engages with the crowd, it starts to get late in the afternoon, and this whole thing is happening someplace out in the boondocks. And so the disciples are looking at their watches, and they're looking around, and they do not see a Chick-fil-A. And so they tell Jesus that he should send the crowd away so that they can go and grab some food. And Jesus tells them, you feed them. Now, we don't know what Jesus was expecting here. These guys had just gone out on a short-term mission trip and had done the miraculous. Was Jesus wanting them to do the same here? Was Jesus wanting them to simply, before they looked to their own lack of resources, look to him for his resources? We don't know which way Jesus wanted them to go, but we do know that they fail on both counts. The disciples reply, in essence, we can't do that. Right? The, the math doesn't work. We don't have enough money to buy dinner for all these people. And so Jesus sits the crowd down and he miraculously provides food for these people. So we need to notice this thing this morning. Jesus has already involved these guys. They are already part of his mission. We see that in Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 6. Jesus has already spun them out on mission, but do they have it all figured out? The answer is no. Right, so let, let's hang on to that, and that gets us into verse 18. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and, and he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Others say you are one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. So again, it's here as well, right? right? These, these 12 have already been spun out on mission by Jesus. Right? He's already involved them, and it's here in verses 18 through 20 that these disciples, and Peter gets it right, but that these disciples are still working out who Jesus is. So again, let's hang on to that. Verse 21, Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man, this name that Jesus uses for himself, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. There's the gospel. It's interesting that, that in a parallel passage in Matthew 16, when Jesus says, that he will be killed. It's Peter that jumps up and says, no, no, not, not gonna happen on my watch. And what does Jesus say to Peter? 
It says, get away from me, Satan. Right? So, so Peter's gotten the confession piece right, but here he's screwing it up again. Verse 23, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. We need to stop here because you and I have some work to do with this. Who exactly in this verse is Jesus talking to? If you claim to be a follower of Christ... There's only one way that you can answer this question. Jesus is talking to you. See, we try to let ourselves off the hook here, if we're honest. We say, nope, Christ, not talking to me. This kind of verse is only for those major league Christians. It's not me. I'm not major league. I'm not minor league. I'm not pony league. I'm not even church league. I'm not even little league. This verse isn't for me. But what does this verse say? What does Jesus say? If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, is there any wiggle room here? There's not. Jesus is talking to you. And so if Jesus is talking to you, what is it that Jesus is asking you for? Is he asking you for 10 minutes in the morning as you do your devotions? Is he asking you for this hour that we come into this building? Is he asking you for 10% of your money? What is Jesus asking you? If you claim to be a follower of Christ, what is it that Christ is asking you for? Again, there's only one way to answer this question, and it's right here in this verse. It's in black and white. It's in those words, take up your cross daily. Man, even here we try to let ourselves off the hook. Right? I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure we don't talk this way, but how many times have you heard someone say things like, man, my cross to bear in life, my psycho in-laws. Right? My, my, my cross to bear in life, my jerk of a boss. My cross to bear in life is my health condition. My cross to bear in life is my financial condition. Again, with that, we try to let ourselves off the hook. What is it that Jesus is asking you for? Yet only one way to answer this. Jesus is asking you for your life. Jesus is asking you for everything that you are, everything that you do. And in asking for your life, is there any part of you that is not covered by this demand? 
The answer is no. In asking for your life, the call of Jesus touches the entire scope of you and who you are. That's why at MBIC we've got this vision point that we call all of life worship. I don't know if you even read your bulletins or not, but if you do, you'll notice that every single week on one of the panels in here we have our church's vision points. Actually, that second vision point there, we encourage and equip our MBIC family for all of life worship. Everything that we are talking about today coming out of Luke chapter 9, the target is this vision point. See, our church leadership is in the process of working out the, the, the tangible, concrete actions that will grow out of these vision points. We started that, that process with vision point number three, prayer. And so things like at the end of each and every service, we now have a prayer team that comes down front that are here to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you, That concrete action grew out of that vision point. Vision point five, we create a culture of love and welcome and belonging. Do you know probably one of the scariest things in life is to step step foot into a church for the very first time? In my mid-20s, I I, I ditched church for about three years. Because as an introvert, there's no way I'm going to step foot into a church where I don't know anybody. And so, and so a concrete action as simple as putting a sign behind our welcome desk that actually says welcome, that allows you to come into this place and know when, that's going to be one of my first touch points, grew out of this vision point. The fact that we have a safety team that, is, that, that has been launched and is, is still developing grew out of this vision point. The fact that we've now got a membership process and we've got over 30 people who are in the pipeline right now to become members of this church family grew out of this vision point. Leadership board is now talking about that very first vision point, Jesus-centered. And even though we are still engaging in that currently, I hope that you can see how this church orbits around this one. On a Sunday morning, if you leave this place and you have not been able to see the beauty of the presence and the power and the promise of Christ, we have gotten it wrong and I should be fired. It's as simple as that. And that's not a joke. And, and it's, it's that Jesus-centeredness that drives us to all of life worship. Again, to being a disciple. It's that Jesus-centeredness that that drives us to to make disciples, right? That's for us our fourth vision point, missionary identity. It's those two vision points, all of life worship and missionary identity. That's what comes next for our leadership board. And man, I am excited to engage with those in 2018. But if we pull back into Luke chapter 9, you might say, Brian, that's great. The church has got this mission and these vision points, but what's that got to do with me? I can see how from Luke chapter 9, this call from Jesus, it's a call for me. And I can see from Luke chapter 9 that this call from Jesus, it is a call for all of my life, but, but where do I go with this? 
Well, I'm glad that you asked that question. Can we go back to something that that we touched on as we were unpacking those verses in Luke chapter 9? Remember how I called out as we read those first six verses of Luke chapter 9 that Jesus has already involved these disciples, has already spun them out on mission, right? That they are involved in this. Yet when it comes to, to feeding the crowd, they're clueless. Drop down a few more verses and they're still working out exactly who Jesus is. These disciples in Luke chapter 9 are still very much in process. Yet how are they learning to follow Jesus? Because what holds true for these guys in Luke chapter 9 holds true for you and I. How are they learning to follow Jesus? You learn to follow Jesus by actually following Jesus. I'll give you an illustration. How many of us remember what it was like the first time we actually sat behind the wheel of a car and drove? So the way the process works is they hand you a book. Right back in my day, it was hard copy. Now it's online. But that little book is full of neat little tips, right? Double yellow line, stay in your lane. That sign there with numbers on it, speed limit, abide by that. Come to a traffic light and it's green and you want to turn left, you better yield. And so you read that book, but have you learned how to drive? Remember what it's like? For me, my dad put me into a parking lot and I can remember going 20 miles an hour to that parking lot and I felt like I was doing 150. (laughs) Just because I've read the book doesn't mean that I know how to drive. I can remember when one of my kids who shall remain nameless, (laughs) but I've only got one who can drive. (laughs) I'm going to hear about this later. That first opportunity for her to drive, sitting in that driver or that passenger seat, full of fear and trepidation. The way that you learn to drive a car is by driving a car. It's no different than following Jesus. The way that you learn to follow Jesus is by following Jesus. It's these, these disciples, just like you and I, they learn discipleship through doing discipleship, one shaky step at a time, constantly engaging with Jesus as they learn, as they get it right, as they get it wrong, but constantly engaging with Jesus as they learn what it means to bring the entire scope of their lives under the lordship of Christ giving up control in their lives, giving up convenience in their lives, giving up comfort in their lives. Make no mistake about it. I am convinced that for us, that comfort is the God, the idol of this age. That comfort is the God, the idol for the West in 2018. And I'm afraid to say that I think that the church in the U.S. has embraced that 
rather than push against that comfort factor and the invariable consumerism that comes with that comfort. And if that's true, if the church has embraced your comfort, if the church makes what we do here all about you, how do we ever get to the point where we ask you to come and die? There is no way that you can do that without being the biggest bait and switch in all of history. It is comfort that we want to be comfortable that will make many of us this morning, I'm under no pretenses here, It is comfort that will make many of us this morning to walk away from this Luke chapter 9 conversation and say, thanks but no thanks, not interested, you are asking too much. So what is it? What is it that compels someone to every single day lay down control and convenience and comfort in exchange for? for a cross. To daily hand your life over to Jesus. We get that answer in Luke chapter 9, verse 24. Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. See, it's only as you are are able to see that by by laying down your life, the thing that you gain is real life. Is real, never going away life. That by giving your life to Jesus so that he is more and more the Lord of everything that you are, more and more the Lord of everything that you do, that in laying your life down to him, The thing that you are getting, you are actually gaining real life, genuine life, stepping into the kind of life that you were ultimately designed for. This is exactly what Luke chapter 9 is pushing us to, but do you believe that? This past week, I found this as I read to get ready for this morning. It says this. Frankly, Most Christians wish there could be some other way to follow Jesus, an easier way. We had hoped that Jesus would refrain from making too many costly demands, that he would endorse the plans that we already had for our lives, or at least that he would let us live for him with as little inconvenience as possible. We said we wanted to follow Jesus, but what we really meant was that we would follow him as long as he was going more or less in the way that we were planning to go. Instead of giving up the life that we had, we wanted to find a way to add Jesus to it. That is what we had hoped for. We were badly mistaken. There is no easy way. There is no more convenient Christianity Jesus calls us to make a comprehensive and costly sacrifice. To every one of his disciples, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The only way to follow Jesus, 
the only way to follow Jesus is to follow him to the very death every day. If Luke chapter 9 is clear, that following Jesus, that in that, Christ is asking you for your very life, the entire scope of who you are. If, if Luke chapter 9 shows us that, that following Christ is a step-by-step process, just like with the disciples, we get it right, we get it wrong, we get it right, but we can do it with Christ's help that we jump into this life with the help of Jesus, that we jump into this life with the help of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If Luke chapter 9 is what it truly means to follow Christ, where does that put you today? In the many pieces that make up your life, What is it that Jesus is saying to you right now? Where is it that Jesus is saying to you, lay it down. Lay it down. Lay your life down. Lay down your life that is centered on you to pick up life centered on me. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. What is it that Jesus is asking you to do with this? So here's how we're going to end this morning. I'm going to simply walk off this platform. We're going to go quiet. I invite you to close your eyes just to block out any distractions. But take this question. Jesus, what are you asking me to do with this? And make this your prayer.